He is blamed for a lot of stuff. There are clauses in insurance policies <clears throat> that talk about acts of God, which basically is a catch-all category for natural disasters that aren't actually specified in the rest of the policy. Here in Oklahoma, we are uh, very familiar with the tornado scale, F1 through 5, F5 being, of course, nicknamed the finger of God. When I was a kid growing up in the state of Michigan, <clears throat> in the winter months, uh, we would often be glued to the radio on certain mornings after snowstorms to see if school was canceled. These school districts built into the calendar something called Acts of God days, commonly referred to as snow days. Although I think the technical term is more appropriate because if you heard your school called being canceled, you'd said, oh, thank God. <laughs> God gets blamed for a lot of stuff. Even difficult and complex events are connected back to God. I just, just recently, on the last week, heard about somebody somewhere, the eclipse happened on a certain day, and Hurricane Harvey happened on a certain day, and now Hurricane Irma, and somehow those had references to the Bible and all of this, and I just went, oh, you've got to be kidding me. And then I read another pastor, I guess he's here in Oklahoma somewhere, who did some research and found out that, that the name Harvey, in, in whatever original language it comes from, meant something like prepared or eager for battle. And that somehow meant that Hurricane Irma was the goddess of war and, and, and God was calling his people to rise up and battle against her in prayer. And I thought, really? Uh, you know, God bless him. I understand that, you know, you, you try to look for things that you can do, but everything gets, gets connected back to God, especially if it's a negative event. And I am waiting for someone somewhere to say eventually that, that these hurricanes are God's judgment on America for who knows what. It's going to happen. I'm sure somebody said it somewhere and they're applauding it. And <clears throat> frankly, I think the hurricanes are more planet Earth's judgment on humanity for not paying attention to climate change, but that's a sermon for another day. I'm just saying that somebody is going to connect these hurricanes to some type of spiritual event. I, just this morning, as I was checking the news on the Weather Channel, they had a picture of the hurricane taken, I, I don't know if it's infrared or something, as it was crossing a, a Cuba, and then you could actually like see a face in there. And I'm like, oh, please don't put that on the internet because somebody's gonna start, oh my goodness, that's gonna, yeah, that's gonna get some playtime. I know it is. And, and for whatever reason, when, when we start listening to those kinds of voices, it seems like we're blaming the victims here. And I, I gotta be honest, that makes me really uncomfortable. And I wonder, is it human nature for us to do this? 
You know, you're trying to find reason for the unexplainable, for catastrophe that nobody really has control over. And on the one hand, you're very glad that it's not you who's experiencing it, but those people who are, they must have done something wrong. And we, we do that. We make this connection you know, as human beings. And, and, we, and, and when you take it as a whole, it just underscores this pervasive thought that's out there that, that God is out there somewhere and he's angry and he's out to get us. And this has been going on for millennia, for thousands of years. Even Jesus had to deal with it. And so I invite you today to turn with me to Luke chapter 13. I want to I talk a little bit about this. Luke chapter 13. Jesus experiences this firsthand. I want you to see how he responds because this is very important. I got it up on the screen here. At that very time, there were some present who told him, meaning Jesus, about the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way that they were worse sinners than all the other Galileans? Please understand here. Please understand. Jesus is dealing with with something that, that occurred. It's a political event. He asks a very important, basically, question about it, and then he gives an exhortation, a response. Here's, here it is. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. That's pretty harsh. But he's not done yet. There's a doublet here. He goes into the same thing, same format. Um, Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? He replies, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. There's this event, there's a question about the condition of the people who suffered, and then there's an exhortation to repent in both cases. The idea here is when you see doublets, it usually means that Jesus is serious, and he's trying to drive the point home. So we have this political event, Pilate. Let me explain something to you. When we talk about Pontius Pilate, this is the guy who crucified Jesus. Pontius Pilate had a bad reputation long before Jesus ever showed up on the scene. He was one bad dude. He did not suffer fools lightly. And in fact, this is one case of him where he apparently, for political reasons, killed a group of Galileans as they were making sacrifices. He was a career military officer who happened to be the uh, uh, military governor, more or less, of a backwater province in the Roman Empire, my guess is he had political aspirations that had more to do with Rome than he actually did in, 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 in the sticks. You know what I mean? Pilate was a bad dude. In fact, there's one, one point we, we read where um, the, uh, the Jewish leaders actually had to appeal to Rome because he was being so cruel. So... We see this story, this is just one story in the line of what Pilate, it's a political thing that actually occurs. But the question here that Jesus asks is, he says, do you think those Galileans were deserving of the punishment that they got? I mean, ultimately, that's the question. Do you think they're worse sinners than the people around them? And then he says, no, don't miss that. No, of course not. They weren't. We're all guilty of sin. 
And he says, you repent. By the word, repentance here means change. You change. You repent or you may suffer a similar fate. And he goes to another natural disaster or probably what's an architectural fall. There's a, there's a tower in Jerusalem, Siloam, and it fell and killed a group of 18 people. Structural flaw, architectural issue, don't know. But that's not the point. The point is, the question that he asks here is, is the condition of these people, are they worse than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem, those 18 people? Of course not. No, they weren't. We're all guilty of some kind of sin. God's not angry, and he's not out to get some people more than he is out to get others. He's not out to get people. Repent, make the change where you need to, is what Jesus says. I get tired of listening to even some of the more learned religious leaders who suggest that this is some type of God's judgment now, let's be fair. There are some places in the, in the Old Testament where there are things that clearly uh, the Bible tells us that God did to punish people. I understand that. But that should never be our default answer. And here Jesus is telling us, no, you repent. You repent. In Jesus' view, the catastrophe is an opportunity for us to reflect on our relationship with God. That's what it is, because you look at that set of circumstances, instead of asking the question why, going, oh my gosh, would I be ready for something like that if it were to happen? That's the more pragmatic question to ask. Don't speculate on others, because let me, let me, let me, let me just put it this way. I'm going to get in trouble, but that's okay. I've been in trouble before. Don't speculate on the people who are suffering you don't know and you are not qualified to make that judgment. None of us are. So why on earth would we want that to be the case for those people? Rather, it's an opportunity for us to step back. It's almost like God saying, eyes on your own paper, chief. Think about you and where you are, you're responsible for you. Tend to the condition of your own heart. Think about where you are in relationship with God, and if you were in those set of circumstances, would you be ready in that moment? Through our church, we have this phrase that we use a lot. It says, come as you are, but don't stay that way. This is an opportunity for us to say, okay, where am I right now? And what, do, what needs to change in my life in order to be ready for an event like that that could happen just randomly? And then what's really amazing to me is that um, Jesus then goes into a parable. He, he, he says these really rather bold statements, and then he tells a story about it. And it's a very interesting story. And I, I want to I talk about this a little bit because what's so interesting to me is that this is the story that I was planning on preaching in because we're talking about, you know, the fruit. Uh, I'm going to talk a little bit more about it. But we, we've been talking a little bit about this idea of living a fruitful life, and this is the story that I wanted to focus on. I had no idea that there were hurricanes when we chose this. And, and it was like God just kind of showed up and went, oh, hey, by the way, I really want you to cover this. Okay, I'll do that. Uh, it's a very interesting story here. 
Then Jesus told this parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. Next slide. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree and I still find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting soil? He replied, sir, let it alone for one more year until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. Now let's take this apart a little bit because I think that the gardener actually gives us a really interesting perspective. There's a fig tree. An unidentified man has a fig tree planted in his vineyard. Very common, by the way. I found this out. I thought this was quite, quite fascinating. The fig tree has been cultivated by human beings for almost 9,000 years before human beings actually cultivated grain. Isn't that interesting? There's a, there's a place in the ancient Near East where they have found evidence that, that fig trees had been cultivated by ancient people, which only shows that when you live in a dry and arid place, uh, it's very nice to have something sweet like figs. And so you know that it was highly valued among ancient peoples. It was a symbol very often of prosperity because uh, for a variety of reasons, but uh, if you had fig trees, that means that you were peaceful enough that you could actually cultivate them. And you'll see why here in a moment. But it says in verse six, there was no fruit. And he says in verse seven, for three years I've had no fruit. Let's cut it down. Well, here's a little biological fact. Didn't know, you know, didn't realize you're going to go to botany class this Sunday, right? And here's the interesting thing. Fig trees have a long juvenile period. Some of you with kids are going, oh, I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> Which means that um, normally speaking, when you go from sapling to tree, a fig tree will take four to five years before it bears fruit. And here it is year three, and we got somebody who's a little impatient, right? Very interesting. And the gardener uh, replies with what I think is a three-part um, prescription for, uh, for this fig tree. And I think it, 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 uh, it helps us um, in our series called Peeled, <clears throat> Living a Fruitful Life. This gardener offers us some, some advice, some real insight into our own lives about bearing fruit. And I think this is important for us to pay attention to. So let's look at what he says here. He gives us three parts. The first thing he does, he says, let it alone for one more year. Well, why? Because three years is less than four or five years, right? So there's a good chance that they're not going to see fruit for until year number four. Which, by the way, only underscores this idea that you have to uh, be at peace and have long stretches of time to actually cultivate them. So they are a symbol of prosperity. You can't cultivate figs if you're constantly at war, right? So it's, a, it's very often a symbol of peace and prosperity. Leave it alone for one more year. Sometimes, my friends, fruit just takes more time. Can we just be honest about that? We all get impatient because we want to see fruit of something that we're doing. We want some kind of a return on our investment. But um, you might be in a season of preparation if you're not seeing fruit in your own life. 
You might be having to do some hard work. Maybe the timing isn't right. And by the way, this happens in churches too. It's not just individuals, but it actually happens in organizations. Um, I was thinking about this when, when I was writing, and I said, you know, uh, in my own mind, I, I see that Thrive is growing and beginning to produce th- fruit, and I'm, I'm very excited about that. And I think the big mistake for us to do is to say, well, God's just blessing us. Well, it's true as far as it goes, but my, the point that I'm, I'm thinking about here is I think it's arrogant to say, well, God is blessing us. There's been a couple of church plants that have met in this school, some of which haven't done very well. So is God just blessing us and they didn't bless them? So instead of asking the question is, or saying or making the statement that God is blessing, we should say, what is God blessing? What is it that we're doing that God seems to be blessing? And, and hey, let's go do more of that, right? I think that's the important question to ask. We have to focus, or we've been focusing on doing um, solid Sundays, but we've also been focused on this idea of relationship and connection. And we're finding that that really speaks to people. And we want to continue to do that. We're not you know, perfect, and we'll never be perfect, but it is something that we want to focus and, and, and continue to do. But the thing that we have to remember is that in, in October, uh, October 1, we will celebrate our f- one-year anniversary of doing weekly services. And uh, we got a big party planned, by the way. You're not going to want to miss it. So we're going to do a, a little bit of a party on that day. And uh, yes, we've been going for one solid year of weekly services, but the fact of the matter is that Thrive Church started on August 15th, 2015. Some of us have been working on this for a couple of years. And so the fruit that we're beginning to see and that we're very excited about took a lot of time, took a lot of energy, took a lot of commitment, took a lot of resources to actually get here, right? I was just talking to um, one of the guys on the setup crew who helped start the church. And I said, you know, can you imagine those, remember those first months where we're like, what are we doing? <laughs> and now here we are going, yeah, we might need more chairs. <laughs> so, that's, that's, that's fruit, and that, that makes us excited. Um, but the point is, is that it takes time to get there, and you may be in a season of preparation if it's, if it's happening, if you're not seeing the fruit that you want to in your own heart. The second thing he says is this. And he says, until I dig around it. Leave it alone until I dig around it. Hmm. Fruit needs the right environment. Fruit needs the right environment to grow. Um, so yeah, you got to loosen up the soil and you've, you've got to create a place where water and nutrients and whatnot can get in the actual environment. So just in our own lives, um, the fruit in your, your own life might need a slightly different environment. You may have to change the local conditions. You may even have to transplant something. And that can be painful. Can I just say it? I mean, let's be honest. It can be painful to actually go from one context to another context. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you're like my family, you pick up and you move all the way across the country sometimes. That happens. That happens. If you're not seeing fruit in your own life, my first question to you is, what's your context? What's going on around you? Who are you spending time with? What is your environment like? And as a church, um, we, we talk about this uh, on staff quite a bit. We, we talk about this idea that we can't change people. That's not my job, 
to change people. Couldn't do it, you know, even if I tried. But that's the Holy Spirit's job to do that. Rather, my job is to cultivate the soil. You see what I did there? I brought it back down to a gardening reference. I can cultivate the soil so that the Spirit can do His work. That's the point of church. This is part of the environment for the Holy Spirit to do His work in your lives. And hopefully you see that in the worship that we do, the conversations we have, the preaching that you hear, is all this idea to cultivate the soil for the Spirit to do the work that only the Spirit can kind of do. So, you know, dig around it because fruit needs the right environment. If you want to see fruit in your life, you need to ask, what's my context? You know, if you see somebody and you're like, oh, I don't know, I'm just constantly depressed and they're listening to certain kind of music and they're <laughs> kind of thinking, you know, you understand the people they're hanging out with, whatever, it, it happens. And then he says this, and then fertilize it. Until I dig around and put fertilizer on it. And yes, the term here is manure. Okay, I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, but fruit needs the right nutrients. Fruit needs the right nutrients. Not only does it need the right um, environment, it needs to have the right nutrients in order to produce certain things. I just read this not too long ago, that if you want your garden to look green or your plants to look green, put a little Epsom salt on it, and it'll green up within a couple of days. That's a tip, kids. So if your neighbors are wondering about your lawn, just put a little Epsom salt on it. But the point is, is there's a nutrient in the Epsom salt that it actually needs in order to, to green up. And so loosening the soil might be helpful, but amending the soil is almost always necessary. And so if producing spiritual fruit in your life is a goal, tell me about your nutrients. Tell me about the inputs that you have into your, into your life. What are you watching on TV? What movies are you paying attention to? What music are you listening to? What's the subject matter of the conversations you have with the people around you? What are the thoughts going through your head? Ooh, now I'm meddling. What are the things that you're thinking about? What occupies your attention? And yes, the Greek word for fertilizer here is manure, or what's more commonly referred to as dung which is just more fun to say, I think. Dung. Full disclosure, this in the ancient Near East was organic farming, which back then they just called farming because they didn't have any of the chemicals. Let me just say this. That junk that you're experiencing in life right now, whatever it might be, that dung that seems to be piling up in life might be God trying to get your attention. I'm just saying. I don't know that for sure. I'm not qualified to make that judgment. But if you're experiencing a certain amount of <clears throat> dung, might be God trying to get your attention so that you can eventually produce some fruit. Just saying. Disaster or pressure may or may not be the actual problem that you're dealing with, but pressure and disaster will always reveal the problem that's already there. Always. Have you ever noticed there are certain times in life where it just seems like, here's the term, bad luck comes in threes, right? Well, normally what happens is you have an event that reveals the problems that are already there because this and this and this and it's all coming down on me in the same time. Have you ever felt this? Come on, you're in church, don't lie. 
I know, it happens. It's, it's real life. That, that actually occurs. It always reveals the problem that's, that's, already, that's already there. So I'm thinking about all of this and especially the disaster that's going on. And I'm thinking this is an opportunity to do some personal reflection. And I don't know what's going on in your life. Um, sometimes I swear I don't even know what's going on in my own life just because things are happening so quickly. But if you're like, like me, then you're probably a little busier than you'd really like to be, right? And I think that it's perfectly important, perfectly acceptable for you to be very glad that you are not in the hurricane's path. I think that's probably okay to think that. But do me a favor and keep praying for the people of Texas and Florida as they try to clean up. I think I mentioned this before, you know, Houston's still drying out, but all the cameras have left. And at some point, um, after the aftermath of the Florida, the cameras are going to leave there too. And people are still going to have to clean up. Get involved in relief where you can. That's part of being a Christian, is to care about what happens to other people and to, to alleviate suffering. And by the way, um, we're just going to extend this out. I mentioned this last week. Uh, over the next couple of weeks, any cash that we receive in our giving boxes, we're going to send to a relief agency. We've got one that we've got a lot of confidence in. So, um, you know, no envelopes or anything, but if you just want to, you know, put in 20 bucks or something like that, we're going to gather all that up at probably towards the uh, end of the month and send out a check and, and, and just try to support some of those cleanup efforts. Um, uh, we've got one down in Texas. We're going to see if we can find one in Florida. Uh, I would love to send a crew somewhere. I'm just not sure that's feasible for our size, and, and um, I'm not even sure where we would go to, to try to help out at this point. <clears throat> the messages we've been receiving from some of the local agencies is uh, that... Um, You've got to have some special training in order to be going into certain spots, and I, and I don't know if we can commit to that. Eventually, we might be able to get there, but, but maybe not this time around. So um, I would rather have us get our hands dirty in ways other than just reaching for our wallets, right? Uh, I would much rather have us get involved, but for right now, we can at least do that. So next couple of weeks, any cash we receive goes to... Uh, one of the relief organizations that we're, we're associated with. What I want to ask you to do is to follow Jesus here. Don't speculate on why those people are suffering the way that they are. That kind of speculation is just not productive at all. But rather, I think what it does is gives us an opportunity to kind of check in with our own souls for just a couple of minutes even. So where are you with God this morning? And that's the bigger, deeper issue. Where are you with God? Or, or how, how about this? How's your fruit production? What kind of fruit are you seeing in your own lives? By the way, next week we're going to talk about different kinds of fruit the kinds of fruit that happen when you follow Jesus and, and when his spirit's alive and working in your life. But for now, are, are you experiencing a certain amount of grace, a certain amount of peace about things? If the answer is yes, yes, I'm experiencing grace, peace, and all kinds of fruit in my life, 
Praise God. Thank you. Please pray for the rest of us. <laughs> okay? <laughs> Let's just be, be honest about that one. But it, the answer is no. If you're not experiencing the kind of fruit that you want, um, let me encourage you with something this morning. Jesus is a patient gardener. Let it alone for one more year. And he'll dig around it, lay out a little fertilizer to it. <laughs> and the point is, is that he's a patient gardener. And he's got things for us if we allow him to do his work. Remember this. This is Psalm chapter 1. People who follow God, they are like trees planted by streams of water which yield their fruit in its season. And their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. And this is poetry. This is, a, this is an emotion that's being expressed by an artist. But I think that this is true that when we're actually staying connected to God, we are going to produce fruit in season. So stay connected. Follow the prescription. If you've got some stuff you need to deal with, deal with it. Don't let that stuff go. You may have to change the environment. You may have to change your in, your. Your, uh, your inputs. You may have to do those things, and that may be painful. Straight up, full disclosure, not going to lie to you, that may be painful. But if you follow the prescription, you're going to produce fruit in your own season. Let's pray. God, thanks for simple stories. Thank you for um, the examples that you gave us in your word. When we gather together as a church, um, it's easy to, to be excited and be happy, and, and I love the fact that we are that way here at Thrive, and that's the spirit that you put into this, but God, I pray that we would individually begin to see some fruit happening in our own lives, because we really can't experience corporately what we're not experiencing individually. And, and vice versa, but I, I really want to see fruit, not just um, from the people around me, but also in my own, my own life, my own heart. And so God, uh, for any person here, they're in a season of preparation, give them the endurance that they need if they're, they need to uh, change their environment. Oh God, give them courage, courage to do what they need to do. And, and Lord, if there's a nutrient that they need, please, raise up that resource that they might need in order to do that. God, I'm just going to thank you in advance for what you're going to do, um, not only through us as a church, but also in us individually as people. And God, um, during the rest of the day, would your Holy Spirit please prompt us to pray every now and then for the people of Florida and for the people of Texas. God, help us to be the people that we would hope for if we were experiencing tragedy. Hmm. Thanks for being here among us, God. 
We ask you to walk with us the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen.